Chapter Four of Hearts of Controversy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hearts of Controversy by Alice Raynell. Chapter Four: Charlotte and Emily Bronte. The controversy here is with those who admire Charlotte Bronte throughout her career she altered greatly she did in fact inherit a manner of english that had been strained beyond restoration fatigued beyond recovery by the corrupt following of gibbon and there was within her a sense of propriety that caused her to conform straitened and serious elder daughter of her time she kept the house of literature she practised those verbs to events to reside to intimate to peruse she wrote communicating instruction for teaching an extensive and eligible connection a small competency an establishment on the continent it operated as a barrier to further intercourse and of a child with a singular unfitness with childhood for the toys he possesses he seems to have contracted a partiality amounting to affection i have been already reproached for a word on gibbon written by way of parenthesis in the course of an appreciation of some other author let me therefore repeat that i am writing of the corrupt following of that apostle and not of his own style gibbon's grammar is frequently weak but the corrupt followers have something worse than poor grammar gibbon set the fashion of the latter and the former our literature was for at least half a century strewn with the wreckage of gibbon after suppressing a competitor who had assumed the purple at minst he refused to gratify his troops with the plunder of the rebellious city writes the great historian when mr micawber confesses gratifying emotions of no common description he conforms to a lofty and a distant gibbon so does mr pecksniff when he says of the copper founder's daughter that she has shed a vision on my path refulgent in its nature and when an author in a work on the divine comedy recently told us that paolo and francesca were to receive from dante such alleviation as circumstances would allow that also is a shattered a waste gibbon a waif of gibbon for johnson less than gibbon inflated the english our fathers inherited because johnson did not habitually or often use imagery whereas gibbon did use habitual imagery and such use is what deprives a language of elasticity and leaves it either rigid or languid oftener languid encumbered by this drift and refuse of english charlotte bronte yet achieved the miracle of her vocabulary it is less wonderful that she should have appeared out of such a parsonage than that she should have arisen out of such a language a re-reading of her works is always anew amazing of her reader who turns back to review the harvest of her english it must have been with rapture that she claimed her own simplicity and with what a moderation how temperately and how seldom she used her mastery to the last she has an occasional attachment to her bonds for she was not only fire and air 
in one passage of her life she may remind us of the little colourless and thrifty hen-bird that lowell watched nest-building with her mate and cutting short the flutterings and billings wherewith he would joyously interrupt the business charlotte's nesting bird was a clergyman he came lately affianced for a week's visit to her parsonage and she wrote to her friend before his arrival my little plans have been disarranged by an intimation that mr is coming on monday and afterwards in reference to her sewing he hindered me for a full week in alternate pages villette is a book of spirit and fire and a novel of illiberal rancor of ungenerous uneducated anger ungentle ignoble in order to forgive its offences we have to remember in its author's favour not her pure style set free not her splendour in literature but rather the immeasurable sorrow of her life to read of that sorrow again is to open once more a wound which most men perhaps certainly most women received into their hearts in childhood for the life of charlotte bronte is one of the first books of biography put into the hands of a child to whom jane eyre is allowed only in passages we are young when we first hear in what narrow beds the three are laid the two sisters and the brother and in what a bed of living insufferable memories the one left lay alone reviewing the hours of their death alone in the sealed house that was only less narrow than their graves the rich may set apart and dedicate a room the poor change their street but charlotte bronte in the close captivity of the fortunes of mediocrity rested in the chair that had been her dying sister's and held her melancholy bridles in the dining-room that had been the scene of terrible and reluctant death but closer than the conscious house was the conscious mind locked with intricate wards within the unrelaxing and unlapsing thoughts of this lonely sister dwelt a sorrow inconsolable it is well for the perpetual fellowship of mankind that no child should read this life and not take therefrom a perdurable scar albeit her heart was somewhat frigid towards childhood and she died before her motherhood could be born mistress of some of the best prose of her century charlotte bronte was subject to a lose a chorley a miss martineau that is she suffered what in italian is called sagazzini in their presence when she had met six minor contemporary writers by-products of literature at dinner she had a headache and a sleepless night she writes to her friend that these contributors to the quarterly press are greatly feared in literary london and there is in her letter a sense of tremor and exhaustion and what nights did the heads of the critics undergo after the meeting those whose own romances are all condoned all forgiven by time and oblivion who gave her lessons who told her to study jane austen the others whose reviews doubtless did their proportionate part in still furthering hunting and harrying the tired english of their day and before harriet martineau she bore herself reverently harriet martineau albeit a woman of masculine understanding we may imagine we hear her contemporaries give her the title 
could not thread her way safely in and out of two or three negatives but wrote about this very charlotte bronte i did not consider the book a coarse one though i could not answer for it that there were no traits which on a second leisurely reading i might not dislike mrs gaskell quotes the passage with no consciousness of anything amiss as for lou's vanished lesson upon the methods of jane austen it served one only sufficient purpose itself is not quoted by any one alive but charlotte bronte's rejoinder adds one to our little treasury of her incomparable pages if they were twenty they are twenty-one by the addition of this written in a long neglected letter and saved for us by mr shorter's research for i believe his is the only record what sees keenly speaks aptly moves flexibly it suits her to study but what throbs fast and full though hidden what blood rushes through what is the unseen seat of life and the sentiment target of death that miss austin ignores when the author of jane eyre faltered before six authors more or less at dinner in london was it the writer of her second-class english who was shy or was it the author of the passages here to follow and therefore one for whom the national tongue was much the better there can be little doubt the charlotte bronte who used the english of a world long corrupted by one good custom the good custom of gibbon's latinity grown fatally popular could at any time hold up her head amongst her reviewers for her there was no sensitive interior solitude in that society she who cowered was the charlotte who made rochester recall the simple yet sagacious grace of jane's first smile she who wrote i looked at my love it shivered in my heart like a suffering child in a cold cradle who wrote to see what a heavy lid day slowly lifted what a wan glance she flung upon the hills you would have thought the sun's fire quenched in last night's floods this new genius was solitary and afraid and touched to the quick by the eyes and voice of judges in her worst style there was no quick latin english whether scholarly or unscholarly is the mediate tongue and unscholarly latin english is proof against the world the scholarly latin english wherefrom it is disastrously derived is in its own nobler measure a defence against more august assaults than those of criticism in the strength of it did johnson hold parley with his profounder sorrows hold parley by his phrase make terms by his definition give them at last lodging and entertainment after sentence and treaty and the meaner office of protection against reviewers and the world was doubtless done by the meaner latinity the author of the phrase the child contracted a partiality for his toys had no need to fear any authors she might meet at dinner against charlotte bronte's sorrows her worst manner of english never stands for a moment those vain phrases fall from before her face and her barred heart to the heart to the heart she took the shafts of her griefs she tells them therefore as she suffered them mightily and mortally a great change approached 
affliction came in that shape which to anticipate is dread to look back on grief my sister emily first declined never in all her life had she lingered over any task that lay before her and she did not linger now she made haste to leave us i remembered where the three were laid in what narrow dark dwellings do you know this place no you never saw it but you recognize the nature of these trees this foliage the cypress the willow the yew stone crosses like these are not unfamiliar to you nor are these dim garlands of everlasting flowers here is the place then the watcher approaches the patient's pillow and sees a new and strange moulding of the familiar features feels at once that the insufferable moment draws nigh in the same passage comes another single word of genius the sound that so wastes our strength and fine as wastes is the wronged of another sentence some wronged and fettered wild beast or bird it is easy to gather such words more difficult to separate the best from such a mingled page as that on imagination a spirit softer and better than human reason had descended with quiet flight to the waste and my hunger has this good angel appeased with food sweet and strange and this daughter of heaven remembered me to-night she saw me weep and she came with comfort sleep she said sleep sweetly i gild thy dreams was this feeling dead i do not know but it was buried sometimes i thought the tomb unquiet perhaps the most eloquent pages are unluckily those wherein we miss the friction friction of water to the oar friction of air to the pinion friction that sensibly proves the use the buoyancy the act of language sometimes an easy eloquence resembles the easy labors of the daughters of danaeus to draw water in a sieve is an easy art rapid and relaxed but no laxity is ever i think to be found in her brief passages of landscape the keen still cold of the morning was succeeded later in the day by a sharp breathing from the russian wastes the cold zone sighed over the temperate zone and froze it fast not till the destroying angel of tempest had achieved his perfect work would he fold the wings whose laugh was thunder the tremor of those plumes was storm the night is not calm the equinox still struggles in its storms the wild rains of the day are abated the great single cloud disappears and rolls away from heaven not passing and leaving a sea all sapphire but tossed buoyant before a continued long-sounding high-rushing moonlight tempest no endymion will watch for his goddess to-night there are no flocks on the mountains see too this ocean the sway of the whole great deep above a herd of whales rushing through the livid and liquid thunder down from the frozen zone and this promise of the visionary surely i am to be walking by myself on deck rather late of an august evening watching and being watched by a full harvest moon 
something is to rise white on the surface of the sea over which that moon mounts silent and hangs glorious i think i hear it cry with an articulate voice i show you an image fair as alabaster emerging from the dim wave charlotte bronte knew well the experience of dreams she seems to have undergone the inevitable dream of mourners the human dream of the labyrinth shall i call it the uncertain spiritual journey in search of the waiting and sequestered dead which is the obscure subject of the eurydice of coventry patmore's odes there is the lately dead in exile remote betrayed foreign indifferent sad forsaken by some vague malice or neglect sought by troubled love astray in charlotte bronte's page there is an autumnal and tempestuous dream a nameless experience that had the hue the mien the terror the very tone of a visitation from eternity suffering brood in temporal or calculable measure tastes not as this suffering tasted finally is there any need to cite the passage of jane eyre that contains the avowal the vigil in the garden those are not words to be forgotten some tell you that a fine style will give you the memory of a scene and not of the recording words that are the author's means and others again would have the phrase to be remembered foremost here then in jane eyre are both memories equal the night is perceived the phrase is an experience both have their place in the reader's irrevocable past custom intervened between me and what i naturally and inevitably loved jane do you hear that nightingale singing in the wood a waft of wind came sweeping down the laurel walk and trembled through the boughs of the chestnut it wandered away to an infinite distance the nightingale's voice was then the only voice of the hour in listening i again wept whereas charlotte bronte walked with exaltation and enterprise upon the road of symbols under the guidance of her own visiting genius emily seldom went out upon those far avenues she was one who practised imagery sparingly her style had the key of an inner prose which seems to leave imagery behind in the way of approaches the apparelled and arrayed approaches and ritual of literature and so to go further and to be admitted among simple realities and antitypes charlotte bronte also knew that simple goal but she loved her imagery in the passage of jane eyre that tells of the return to thornfield hall in ruins by fire she bespeaks her reader's romantic attention to an image which in truth is not all golden she has moments on the other hand of pure narrative whereof each word is such a key as i spoke of but now and unlocks an inner and an inner plain door of spiritual realities there is perhaps no author who simply telling what happened tells it with so great a significance jane did you hear that nightingale singing in the wood and she made haste to leave us but her characteristic calling is to images those avenues and temples oracular 
and to the vision of symbols you may hear the poet of great imagery praised as a great mystic nevertheless although a great mystical poet makes images he does not do so in his greatest moments he is a great mystic because he has a full vision of the mystery of realities not because he has a clear invention of similitudes of many thousand kisses the poor last and now with his love now in the cold grave are lines on the yonder side of imagery so is this line also sad with the promise of a different sun and piteous passion keen at having found after exceeding ill a little good shakespeare chaucer and patmore yield us these great examples imagery is for the time when as in these lines the shock of feeling which must needs pass as the heart beats and pauses is gone by thy heart with dead-winged innocence filled even as a nest with birds after the old ones by the hawk are killed i cite these lines of patmore's because of their imagery in a poem that without them would be insupportably close to spiritual facts and because it seems to prove with what a yielding hand at play the poet of realities holds his symbols for a while a great writer is both a major and a minor mystic in the self-same poem now suddenly close to his mystery which is his greater moment and anon making it mysterious with imagery which is the moment of his most beautiful lines the student passes delighted through the several courts of poetry from the outer to the inner from riches to more imaginative riches and from decoration to more complex decoration and prepares himself for the greater opulence of the innermost chamber but when he crosses the last threshold he finds this midmost sanctuary to be a hypoethral temple and in its custody and care a simple earth and a space of sky emily bronte seems to have a nearly unparalleled unconsciousness of the delays the charms the pauses and preparations of imagery her strength does not dally with the parenthesis and her simplicity is ignorant of those rights her lesser work therefore is plain narrative and her greater work is no more on the hither side the daily side of imagery she is still a strong and solitary writer on the yonder side she has written some of the most mysterious passages in all plain prose and with what direct and incommunicable art let me alone let me alone said catherine if i've done wrong i'm dying for it you left me too i forgive you forgive me it is hard to forgive and to look at those eyes and feel those wasted hands he answered kiss me again and don't let me see your eyes i forgive what you have done to me i love my murderer but yours how can i they were silent their faces hid against each other and washed by each other's tears so much the worse for me that i am strong cries heathcliff in the same scene do i want to live what kind of living will it be when you oh god would you like to live with your soul in the grave 
charlotte bronte's noblest passages are her own speech or the speech of one like herself acting the central part in the dreams and dramas of emotion that she had kept from her girlhood the unavowed custom of the ordinary girl by her so splendidly avowed in a confidence that comprised the world emily had no such confessions to publish she contrived but the word does not befit her singular spirit of liberty that knew nothing of stealth to remove herself from the world as her person left no pen portrait so her eye is not heard here she lends her voice in disguise to her men and women the first narrator of her great romance is a young man the second a servant woman this one or that among the actors takes up the story and her great words sound at times in paltry mouths it is then that for a moment her reader seems about to come into her immediate presence but by a fiction she denies herself to him to a somewhat trivial girl or a girl who would be trivial in any other book but emily bronte seems unable to create anything consistently meagre to isabella lenton she commits one of her most memorable passages and one which has the rare image one of a terrifying little company of visions amid terrifying facts his attention was roused i saw for his eyes rained down tears among the ashes the clouded windows of hell flashed for a moment towards me the fiend which usually looked out was so dimmed and drowned but in heathcliff's own speech there is no veil or circumstance i'm too happy and yet i'm not happy enough my soul's bliss kills my body but does not satisfy itself i have to remind myself to breathe and almost to remind my heart to beat being alone and conscious two yards of loose earth was the sole barrier between us i said to myself i'll have her in my arms again if she be cold i'll think it is this north wind that chills me and if she be motionless it is sleep what art moreover what knowledge what a fresh ear for the clash of repetition what a chime in that phrase i dreamt i was sleeping the last sleep by that sleeper with my heart stopped and my cheek frozen against hers emily bronte was no student of books it was not from among the fruits of any other author's labor that she gathered these eminent words but i think i have found the suggestion of this action of heathcliff's the disinternment not in any inspiring ancient irish legend as has been suggested did emily bronte find her incident she found it but she made and did not find its beauty in a mere costume romance of bulwer lytton whom charlotte bronte as we know did not admire and emily showed no sign at all of admiration when she did him so much honor as to borrow the action of his studio bravo heathcliff's love for catherine's past childhood is one of the profound surprises of this unparalleled book it is to call her childish ghost the ghost of the little girl when she has been a dead adult woman twenty years that the inhuman lover opens the window of the house on the heights 
something is this that the reader knew not how to look for another thing known to genius and beyond a reader's hope is the tempestuous purity of those passions this wild quality of purity has a counterpart in the brief passages of nature that make the summers the waters the woods and the windy heights of that murderous story seem so sweet the beck that was audible beyond the hills after rain the heath on the top of wuthering heights whereon in her dream of heaven catherine flung out by angry angels awoke sobbing for joy the bird whose feathers she the lyrious creature plucks from the pillow of her death-bed this i should know it among a thousand it's a lapwing's bonny bird wheeling over our heads in the middle of the moor it wanted to get to its nest for the clouds had touched the swells and it felt rain coming the only two white spots of snow left on all the moors and the brooks brimful the old apple trees the smell of stalks and wallflowers in the brief summer the few fir trees by catherine's window bars the early moon i know not where are landscapes more exquisite and natural and among the signs of death where is any fresher than the window seen from the garden to be swinging open in the morning when heathcliff lay within dead and drenched with rain none of these things are presented by images nor is that signal passage wherewith the book comes to a close be it permitted to cite it here again it has taken its place it is among the paragons of our literature our language will not lapse or derogate while this prose stands for appeal i lingered under that benign sky watched the moths fluttering among the heath and harebells listened to the soft wind breathing through the grass and wondered how any one could ever imagine unquiet slumbers for the sleepers in that quiet earth finally of emily brontë's face the world holds only an obviously unskilled reflection and of her aspect no record worth having wild fugitive she vanished she escaped she broke away exiled by the neglect of her contemporaries banished by their disrespect outlawed by their contempt dismissed by their indifference and such an one was she as might rather have pronounced upon these the sentence passed by coriolanus under sentence of expulsion she might have driven the world from before her face and cast it out from her presence as he condemned his romans i banish you End of chapter 4